Hey, don't be bashful now. What do you think? Aren't we a sorrowful lot around here? Kyle. I try not to make snap judgments if I can help it. Well, that's good. That's big of you, really. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with promising sign, Jeb Blunt. Hello, Jeb. <laughs> Hello. Okay, so today we are talking about a film that I keep in my notes referring to as Johnny Dangerously. Um, <laughs> I think Jeb called it Jackie Daytona in the lead Jackie up. Daytona. <laughs> Jackie Daytona. <laughs> Believe it or not, we have not been drinking real human martinis unfortunately okay so we we are talking about a tv movie from 1982 called johnny belinda starring once again he comes back up on quaid in full he was in a uh, season one episode three it's uh john boy walton in the lead role here he is dispatched to a small southern town as a vista volunteer slash nutritionist comes upon Rosanna Arquette, who seems to, at least according to Wardrobe, be in this like parallel 1930s verse. Right. She's, they're all Okies. He has gone, he actually is sent by Vista to find the grapes of wrath. That's. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I I believe that's correct. Um, (laughs) The plot summary on IMDb, usually there's like six, thousand variations on this this time there was one it is as follows quote a young deaf mute is befriended by the town doctor end quote first of all no he's not a doctor second of all deaf mute is not how we talk about people third of all she's not mute no she's not he's like a county outreach plant for america guy and yeah drives a vw van and asks for wheat bread so you know he's some kind of pinko but before we get really into johnny belinda a magical hearing person who brings the gift of asl to rosanna arquette also making another appearance on quaded full but uh before we get into that let's rewind just a little bit for some pod business jeb it is probably go- i hope you're sitting down yeah, I it's am. going to uh, perhaps surprise and dismay you to learn that I still have not made time to listen to the Denissance this week. <sighs> it was because I was catching up on Jersey Shore Family Reunion. I'm way behind, and my DVR is going to start deleting old episodes. That can't happen. I completely sympathize. I got to tell you, that's a that's a load off my shoulders. I was going <laughs> to listen to it. I was about to head outside, you know, and do some you know, work, some man work. And I <laughs> squinting while this... holding a hose. I'm familiar. Yeah. Like just look, you're scowling at children while moistening part of uh, the lawn. <laughs> oh, oh yes. But performative uh, but... moistening. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe your dogs do this. Um, my dogs used to do this, but my son does this even more effectively is just move the furniture, not in a way that's necessarily noticeable, but it is noticeable in terms of your muscle memory. So the, let's say the coffee table isn't a lot closer to the couch in a way that you would notice. <laughs> oh, it's no. just about an inch and a half closer to the couch. So when you stand up and you're like, I'm going to go to the garage to put on my shoes, you rocket your ring toe on your right foot into the oh, leg of the gosh. end table. And you're like, well, that's broken. 
<laughs> yeah. So I didn't go outside and I just sat in. I was sullen and I didn't want to take it out on Dennis. Right. Like I wanted to go into it with an open and, and, uh, and fair mind. And at that point, I was pretty bloody minded. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I used to uh, be um, horsey as a teen. Yeah. Uh, as a, you know, white girl teenager in New Jersey. Shocker. Um, <laughs> you had so... mane and tail tattooed <laughs> on your knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inside and outside. Because I am <laughs> hardcore. But I've, because of that, had pretty much every toe broken at least once. Except the left big toe. And for whatever reason, let that you... You'd think you'd be exempt from either rebreaking them or the horrible pain that ensues when, for instance, a small canine has somehow shifted the the leg of the bed over like an inch. Mm. It's not supposed to be there. I'm wearing flip flops. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So I I think that's a legitimate cloud that you don't want on the horizon of your listening to the Denisons. Right. I mean, it, every bit as much as like not wanting to to try to enjoy it and think like, well, every ounce of enjoyment I had here is at the expense of, you know, my shows. So I get it. Yeah. I think we're possibly going to be measuring our uh, enjoyment of um, Hannah Montana in, in ounces as well. <laughs> Listeners, I got I to gotta jump in here and say like, you didn't hear the first take of that where she said Tony Montana. And <laughs> I had queued up like a say hello to my little film bit for when we went into the plot summary but now i can't do it you just did it though well yeah i mean like we're well, just trying to sneak that one in but. <laughs> oh is that is that what sneaking looks like in florida interesting well it's it's presidential sneaking <laughs> right it's is it's, it's, <laughs> the door was open didn't have to kick it just yeah. uh i'm sorry that i trampled your bit but i just i felt like uh hannah was uh funnier than scarface she was due aren't we all <laughs> um so there are we couldn't find any contemporary reviews for this or i couldn't i i didn't look that hard i am really curious about what anyone else thinks of this like there were no reviews at all there's nothing on metacritic you know you search it on like justwatch.com and like i said everything yeah. else comes up except this Johnny Dangerously. Do you know your last name's an adverb? <laughs> the the Johnny Belinda starring, um, actually, I think Mickey Rooney, isn't it? It's from the 40s. It's, it's hard to yeah. find anyone else who watched this. And I'm not entirely sure that, like, the YouTube channel we watched it on is not some kind of tesseract that has now closed. This is the detail that I discovered and, and that I think is sort of a testament to this version of Johnny Belinda, uh, which is that there are six adaptations of it. There's the original play and then there's like five other m movies and TV movies. Do they all have this plot? Because I thought this was going to be some kind of like Appalachian moonshine gangster thing. And then it's, you know, good night, the miracle worker. Okay. I didn't check. And what, because what I was fascinated by was that of all six adaptations this was one of only two that didn't even merit a wikipedia entry huh like it just doesn't exist oh <laughs> okay it's not even a stub no it's just like it's the little red highlight okay like you can't go anywhere on that yeah or like maybe it's not highlight highlighted at all i can't remember would you like to as tony take us into a plot summary 
I can't I can't do the like it's a terrible accent and I I wouldn't want to do it anyway but I definitely can't so it's not going to be very funny. But uh yeah, say hello to my little plot. You okay. already covered it for the most part. Uh Richard Thomas Will Richmond is mm-hmm. on Vista and he comes to a town that is in the Grapes of Wrath. I don't I had no idea where this was. I thought like maybe it's Texas or maybe it's a part of like inland California. It definitely wasn't in the north because they made a a thing about like how dusty and and uh, hot it was i mean it definitely looked like it was filmed in southern california yeah i was gonna go um like uh south central missouri or arkansas hard to say whole like every possible accent was represented which is nice the vegetation was all southern california trying to look like a holler and justified for the most part yeah so that'll, yeah you're right and it doesn't really have like arkansas's flavor which is definitely uh less dusty and moister mm, but anyway truth he's uh he's down in this uh like this impoverished area and he's supposed to set up a communal farm to improve the nutrition of these people the land has been given by the county everybody's going to get a parcel everybody can chip in they can work it however much they want and to do this he's got to basically win over the people which he's told by uh candy clark playing julie sales who is the actual doctor in the area she works out of like a quonset hut was she a doctor? I'm not even sure. I think she might be a nurse practitioner, but I don't think we're told either way. Anyway, so there's an official Quonset hut, and she <laughs> grew up in the town, and uh, she knew Dennis Quaid's Kyle Hager, the the young drunk hothead growing up. And so she says, well, he's not bad. He's just got a drunk temper. For whatever reason, she decides to date him and marry him over the course of the movie. Also over the course of the movie, Will winds up teaching belinda the not mute only mostly deaf daughter of john mcadam uh who is a a seer looking older farmer he's played uh, he's played by the same gentleman roberts blossom who played the old man with the uh snow shovel uh-huh. in home in alone, home alone. That, yep yeah that kevin's afraid of and he's and it, it all the the austerity of his face is there and it's great but at first you you know he seems a little hokey like because he, he says get off my land But the character winds up getting a little bit better. In any event, his suspicion ebbs as Will teaches sign language to Belinda. She opens up. Eventually, John, Belinda's dad, takes him to the town dance where she winds up taking off after Will when he goes to drive Julie home because Kyle, Dennis Quaid, has drunkenly knocked her to the floor. She's upset. We have a clip Um, for that if you'd like to hear it. Now, how are you waiting for Prince Charming to come barreling through town on a four-wheel drive? He's right here, honey. You're sitting at the table. <laughs> are you waiting for Vista to propose to you, huh? Yeah, right. Well, you just forget about that. Ain't gonna do you no good, honey, because nobody's gonna look at you except one of your own, baby. Oh, yeah. We'll see about that. Yeah, but we'll see about that. You're going to dance with me. Come on. I want to dance with you. Come on, let's dance. Come on. See there? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, that contains multitudes. But anyway, please continue. Just charming, dude. Anyway, he's had too much to drink. So in typical 1981 fashion, his friends are like, you just need to drive home. (laughs) And so he's driving home and he comes across Belinda walking on the road after where she thinks that Will and Julie have gone. 
he pulls his truck around. He stops her. He forces himself on her, kisses her. She runs in the woods, hiding from him. He says, you know, he's a very great hunter and he's going to sniff her out. Uh, he finds her, grabs her. She makes a noise in panic and we cut to commercial. And we, you know, we're given to understand that he has raped her. And then she winds up being pregnant. The dad finds out who did it eventually. Like after a while, it's sort of a mystery, but nobody really knows what happened to her, although everybody has their suspicion. Dad finds out, confronts Kyle. Kyle accidentally heaves him off a railroad bridge, killing him, and then confesses essentially to Julie later, that's my boy, saying like, well, you know, it was consensual. That's my boy. And now that there's no man around to take care of Belinda, the only person who can take care of the 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 son he is sired by her non-consensually is him. So he gets his buddies and they go to the house to take the boy back. And then there's a lot of violence and yeah. then everything is fine. Cause she, she shoots him like in the face. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that with a shotgun. Yeah. That really turned into like night of the living Quaid at the end there. Um, yeah. Or like straw Dennis's. Yeah. We have a clip, actually, from his um, making the pitch to Julie that he's a better parent than Belinda could be. Like, (laughs) there are so many inanimate objects, some of them covered in fire ants, that would be a better parent than this motherfucker. But anyway, let us return, before we get into the quaidosity of it all, to... Our review of this overall, this again was a TV movie, I suspect was part of a continuing campaign that Viz multiple appearances on Special Victims Unit has never really ended. Part of a campaign on the part of uh, Richard Thomas to de-John Boy Matize his uh, image and his career. Yep. That is... It's not going to work. No. Also, he just seems like John Boy being a, being a rag sometimes. Like, the um, moment you mentioned where uh, McAdam Sr.'s, like, get off my land has just occurred when John Boy brats the following in clip two. You know something? I think you like it, don't you? You like keeping her dependent on you, don't you? Stay off my land and stay away from her. You understand? Yeah, I understand. Okay, like, I'm not clear on what we're supposed to feel about this character. Like, the, um, we've seen this Northern Exposure framework for a plot a gazillion times, but he's just immediately this prickly dick about, I mean, he's just a prick, I guess. And I'm not sure i understand like it's a choice but Mm -hmm. i'm i'm really not sure i understand and like it's pretty telling that julie like sort of mentions maybe at first that he should like let people get to know him and not be such a wad and then she just doesn't try to help him anymore and then she wants to bone him somehow like why would you i know kyle is fucking murderous rapey kyle but a she doesn't know that and b it's still fucking dennis quaid versus john boy yeah (laughs) what 
I will say this for Richard Thomas. He's the only person who can appear on screen that will make my mother yell at the screen almost instantaneously. And the first time it happened, because like we didn't grow up watching uh, any of his, his, uh, and it was, I was watching the Americans with my mom and like the pilot and he popped up on screen and my mom just goes, shut up, John boy. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah. I just about died. Oh my God. I, I mean, I'm so happy for you that you weren't, uh, doing this with me for season one because, um, his James Dean standing in September 30th, 1955 is a lot. And I, I think that he has gotten better in recent years about like, I think he understands that he's never going to get away from the John boy thing. So the only play is to like curdle it. Mm -hmm. But at this point, like in the late seventies, early eighties, he's like, well, what if I'm ragey? And it's like, you don't shave for 10 days at a time. This doesn't work. Don't be a jerk. It's like, that's, that's not the play anyway. Well, in in this case though, like part of it is the, the writing seems to be like, all of it is mostly competent, but it seems like almost every scene or arc was written completely discreetly from the other ones yeah so in his case he shows up and he's immediately like the you know he's wearing a harvard shirt right he's the east coast pointy headed uh-huh. you know man in gray come to administrate your life With so everything he does literal bookie wook yeah so he's obnoxious and know-it-all and he doesn't bother to you know humble himself and meet these people and like that's great if you want to make a narrative about east coast or you know like metro versus rural alienation or something but generally the people who do this kind of work aren't like that which is why they're good at this kind of work yeah so you've got this like trope happens and then like they just sort of like cycle through tropes with him and every at every step they they do complexify it a little bit like you know you you wonder is there something more going on with this person but then it hits another scene and you're kind of like back at point a of this sort of tropey thing and all the hinted at depth never pays off. Like, honestly, like Quaid's character is way more compelling in this. Like, how does this guy go from, well, I'm not a rapist. I am a rapist. I feel sheepish about being a rapist. I'm going to kidnap my child and murder anybody who gets in the way. Like there's a process here and we're never taken into it. Along with my, along with my henchmen who in a very Sammy Hung Kung Fu movie way, politely one at a time break various windows at the farmhouse before trying to home invade and they don't go for the backyard to start where there's an open screen door there's like another door that they don't even get to for a while and then but then they're all glass doors in a farmhouse like okay (laughs) yeah Mm. and then the capper on that is you know he gets de-headed Although, like, being a TV movie, we don't see the effect of that, of, like, just sort of a neck and a torso coming backward. Um, and then at that point, his his henchman, uh, Mickey Jones, in a classic, uh, speaking of Justified, like, in a classic move, is like, hey, you know, he just got worked up. I don't know what was with him. Okay, uh, see you around. And then just, like, take off. Like, Well, uh, and then the, the- uh, Will is like, <laughs> I'd appreciate it if you'd stick around and help me explain to the cops who don't speak asl that belinda (laughs) killed the father of her child who was knight of the living quading her from all sides and he's like 
all right. Like he's just sort of like annoyed. And then he walks out of frame. And then Will, who then- the whole time has been like, <laughs> we're just friends and making the sign for friends. It's like, just kidding. I'm going to stick around because now I love you. Now that you've killed Kyle. Now Look, that you've been blooded. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly it. And then, bless her heart, Rosanna Arquette, who I'm going to jam this bit of trivia in here because I don't want to forget. Her sure. father, Louis, had some kind of recurring role on The Waltons, which I never watched either. J.D. Pickett. That's like, okay, that could, you could be making that up. That could be anyone. She gives him this look like, what and then now yeah she's like all right she's like i already did everything but fine like i don't like i don't need you i already shot the bad guy and also here come the credits we don't have to worry about this everything's cool Mm -hmm. this movie i don't know if bad good and bad is the axis but like i was not bored no no (laughs) there's a lot going on (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> and I think there's a whole other movie to be made about Julie, like occasionally around the edges of that story, you get this insight into what it is to be the whatever East Coast elite who comes home. Like his line in that clip about like, nobody's ever going to look at you except one of your own. Like you could never, whatever, move to Philadelphia and pass. You have to be the hillbilly you are. There's a lot in there. There's like a master's thesis in there. And we don't get it because it's not it's not their movie, really. Right. And then, you know, at the moment where you think that she might be maybe more charitable, like you know, a lot of awful things happen to the women in this movie. And then when she's asked to comment on Belinda herself, she has just this like almost savagely dismissive at the moment when she's trying to bed Will after they've gone back from the dance and she's a little bit drunk. Ah, uh, yes. You know, she says something about um, about interest in Belinda and, and Will, you know, is just aghast. And he's, you know, he can't understand why she would come to that conclusion. And she says, she's 18, beautiful, deaf and dumb, just the way you guys like him. Yeah. And like, this is the one guy who isn't like that. And you're accusing him of that because you're trying to get away from that, which is just kind of like, there's a lot going on with you emotionally if that's your process, I think. Yeah. Well, and I I think that she's, you know, probably not. I don't think that's um, an incorrect factual foundation for for her to be operating from necessarily in 1982 in East Buttfuck, but... Really anywhere at any time, but yeah, yeah. Also today, but... He, at the same time in this scene, has been, he just, it's not you, it's me, her, and was like, well, I could just fuck you, but that's all it is, so I'm going to go drive myself home after polishing off this rosé, like, (laughs) movie, (laughs) come on. But he is, like, aggro-condescending about it in the way that he is throughout this movie, like, even when he seems to be, like, responding positively and giving Belinda, like, good feedback about learning a sign, he's like, yes, finally. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, his movements are rapid and juddering and hostile looking. Yeah. Like, if you don't know what he's saying, it looks like a man's having a fit at you. Yeah. 
And like some of the signs, like the way he does them, I'm sure he studied and I certainly like, I don't know ASL and couldn't do it, but like enough of them are not shot to distinguish them from him making the jerk off motion that it's like, what time did this air again? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yes, flower. Like, um, (laughs) please ask for another take because this is getting weird. But yeah, there's a lot wrong with this movie but there's also like it absolutely believes in everything that it's doing and it just hurdles along doing it and then the amount of ammunition expended in the last 12 minutes is like that's like a you know civil war reenactment years budget that happened and then this farmhouse is full of holes and john boy is in love with uh you know, desperately seeking Susan and the baby's like, yay. And the credits. I mean, I had a great time watching this. It's terrible and weird, but I really liked it also. Okay. Yeah. Not, not there. I, I just, I was so impatient with these people and, and then it's just, you know, so many horrible things happen to the people that you, I mean, I don't know, like a movie isn't good because I liked what happened to the characters. Right. But I mean, I'm just watching like confusing choice after confusing, like, like Richard Thomas just going, ah, oh, this, this is when we're falling in love. How could I be as peevish as possible? And then you're just sort of like during a going, montage, no less. Like the movie is trying to help you be less of a be less of a git and you're you're still not doing it. Come on. Yeah, he gets multiple montages to improve as a person and he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't put it in the reps. Like that's when Stallone runs up a mountain or chops uh, some logs and John Boy's just sitting there waiting for the plot to get back to him. And but, like, that's why know, that's... John Boy was not, was not in Rocky Four. If he dies, he dies. Let it be told. <laughs> if he farms, he farms. Anyway, you know, just the, the shock of getting from one scene to another, like, oh, so they did that. Okay, and then you get to another one, and there's just that kind of bizarro element in it, where like you had me, you had me, and then you add you added that. Okay, like a sandwich where there's just one ingredient you do not want. Yeah, and it's like why why is there rhubarb in here? Um, no, I totally get it, and my notes are like there are many question marks. Things like wait, we're doing this now. When are we? Like, are they married? How, but like, why are they showing us this part of her childbirth and not other things? Like, the, I mean, very strange choices. If you can take her to a hospital to test her ear and cover all these tests for her deafness, you could probably take her to deliver a baby in a hospital rather yeah. than doing it. Yeah. yeah. And like in the 1948 version, that seems a lot more probable. But, you know, in the 82 version, like you can update that one. And like, I don't think we're going to like the whole point of it is like that. It's very difficult to communicate that she should be doing whatever Lamaze breathing. Right. When she's like completely taken over by pains and you can't necessarily communicate how to deal with that. So fine. Well, And later, you know, Will Dope is talking to the dad, John, who and John is saying like, well, she loves you, you know, and like he's giving Will the, the, the green light. Like, I think there's something here. You get the, you know, yeah. and Will's like, no, no, there's nothing. And John says, well, you know, even if there's not, like, you know, you're welcome to marry her and stay here. Would you and like this farmhouse? 
Warning. Right. Many breakable doors. So, like, all this ground has been laid for him to start in on the courting. So this makes me think that the Lamaze training was somewhat like the courting and also the leaving because like he doesn't prepare her for the fact that he's going to have to go. There's a due date when he's going to leave. Yeah. And rather than tell her months ahead and work up to it, he's just going to break it to her and jet. And, and there's a conversation like, about this too. Yeah. In which yeah. I think Julie is like, you should get her used to the idea. And he's like, nah, I'm just going to rip the bandaid off. And Julie's like, it's a strategy. And then next scene, <laughs> dick. Yeah. But like, I'm just picturing her like going into labor and like, you know, the Julie's like holding her and he's at the end of the bed looming down. It's like, okay, so Lamaze is a practice that and like he's trying to instruct her then because I'll just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Like there's just no prep for what a baby is. Yeah. Like that's yeah. why she's screaming so much. She didn't think this was going to happen. She doesn't know. Well, and also like they do manage to communicate to her that she's having a baby and her response is like mixed to positive i would say then it, there's a montage and then like have they used any of the intervening six months to explain how that happens yeah and bring her to a doctor like there's some throwaway dialogue about how she didn't have like visit a prenatal clinic like movie because on the one hand you have this like tender albeit condescending um meet cute romance under duress i guess which is like she is 18 and that's a little dodgy but whatever and then you have this like deliverance situation <laughs> where a whole farmhouse is being shot out because beer has rotted kyle's brain i don't know but again, I was not bored. I was interested to see how they were going to resolve the revelation that Kyle is a rapey manslaughterer. I was content with this resolution, frankly. Same. And I was like, what was it like to watch this in 1982? Because I can't imagine this is average TV movie fare. Like, this is some, uh, I don't know, walking tall shit. Except, you know, <laughs> Walton Tall. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the thing that made the play and the original movie worth repeating is that, like, their legacy, at least in Hollywood, is that rape wasn't something that was, you know, it wasn't like a, a plot line. It wasn't depicted. I mean, right. like, might have been a plot line, but it's not something you see, right? So this kind of, like, goes up against the Hayes Code, and it's a violent story it concludes with this violent act and that was at least a kind of seismic event in terms of opening up like a whole perspective on half of humanity and and something they're afraid of uh but like by the time you get to this this is the like the second tv movie because there's one in i think there's a regular movie or a tv movie in like 66 or 67 with mia farrow yeah that's right and then there's another one in the 70s and then there's one in 82 so like if you're watching it and you're like a boomer you've probably already seen this plot three times so maybe it's not that shocking you're like oh right. this is the part where everybody gets wasted i don't know i guess i'm just sort of maybe it's that the tv movies that i tend to interact with are like scripted lifetime versions of actual crime stories which have been gentled 
and like lavender besatined for basic cable to avert its eyes somewhat from the real unpleasantness, which they can't exactly show. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they'll also do Surviving R. Kelly, which, okay, that was an astounding document and good for you, but there's like their take on the not salacious, but like just really grim narratives that they sort of are their stock and trade is pretty um, coy. So I guess I'm just expecting to see that network would be even more of that, especially in 1982. That would be Mm -hmm. like before anything really even happens, like before anyone even starts screaming, let's have a commercial for Pepsi free and then we'll come back and you can infer. Pepsi free. Nice. Yeah. Nice poll. Thanks. Pepsi free and LA beer. I don't remember that. It's like it was like the lightest of light beers. It was like when everybody was trying to see how much lighter they could make beer. <laughs> it's and, like, uh, isn't that it, a it, sprite? It got like I think it was from some it was like a subsidiary of one of the big ones, and it got like the full court press and then was gone in like 18 months. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake. Forget you saw anything. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess it's time for us to do the old boiling water trick on these ratings, unless you had other notes about this. I no. <laughs> Johnny Blindenstein. I, uh, I'm giving it a seven. What? <laughs> <laughs> Look, bitch, this is what happens when you make me go first. <laughs> Nothing good. But look, it made me think a lot. And I was baffled and confused and often um, kind of angry at it but i thought it was quite a good performance from rosanna arquette i really would like it if quaid and full could not put rosanna arquette characters in rapey situations anymore that's twice already this season but john boy was a kind of a twat but it was entertaining i wasn't looking at my phone i don't know seven sorry see i was i i thought it you know it had to be under you know like either dead in the middle or like a four, and I'm not sure. I think I'm probably at dead in the middle because there are a lot of things where I'm like, for a TV movie, you tried. Yeah. Like, I appreciate all the effort that you're putting into this. And I know that TV movies in 1981 are a very different thing from TV movies now, and they had bigger budgets, and like, everybody, there was like three things to watch. Everybody sat down and watched it. Yeah. Um, and there's like a whole diehard, like, you know, but I mean, that's a lot of shootout for a network joint in 1982 that's supposed to be about a deaf person learning to uh, learning about her own world so i think it may just be i mean well part of it so like for me for the dead middle it's like every time you have a good thing you have a something that takes away from it so you have a beautiful performance by rosanna arquette but then you also have to watch richard thomas or (laughs) yeah you have like those beautiful moments with uh um her dad john mcadam uh roberts blossom like he when he finds out that his daughter can say father like that was, you know, I'm watching this with like parent brain. So I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, I'm watching this with daughter brain. So I, cr- yeah, I cried at that. I mean, also it's 2020 and I cried a lot of random shit that my husband's like, it's just an eraser. I'm like, remember what? Uh, yeah. 
Look, this is something I was kind of surprised didn't come up when we reviewed Bill. But like, you know, as somebody who spent the last five years being like incredibly depressed and a raw nerve, I was just expecting to sob like every five minutes in that movie. And I didn't get that here. And I think because, you know, there was there were those moments of like beautiful emotion and like sort of pitiable emotions. But then there would just be something so hateful shortly after that that I like I would kind of retreat. Well, yeah. And there's the fact that the... um stereotypical quadosity like way overshot the mark and now robert's blossom is dead and roseanne arquette got raped but we'll get to that in a second are you a five on this yeah no i think so i, okay. I, I want to get to the quaid thing if you know if you open the door keep going okay i think this is well all right let me play the last clip which is um from a scene that you mentioned earlier she has just been and this is interesting because she's like kyle like i can't believe you like she's clearly distraught but it doesn't seem to be occurring to her that his you know she came on to me is horseshit anyway here is um kyle (laughs) making his uh big pitch for like baby retrieval i guess ain't how you think julie she came after me, and I think I got as much claim to that boy up there as that dummy does. And I want him. I want him real bad. Now, come on, baby. Come on. I'm on it. It's our child up there. It's yours just as much as it is mine. You can't. You- Damn it! Yes, I can, damn it! I'm going to! I think that this is where... I mean, look, the movie is not good, my seven notwithstanding, but I think this is where it falls apart for me, is that they've just had a conversation about how they've apparently been trying for a while to have a kid, which, that's pretty loaded, but they don't really get into that part of it. Fine. I'm unclear on why they started trying to have a kid if in the timeline they've only been married for a few months like not that anyone has to be married to have a kid obviously but according to this movie's morality i think they just forgot when they are like on the calendar and he he excuses the fact that he had sex with belinda by saying like well we weren't married yet baby which is like yeah, but you were dating. Like, yeah. And, and that is supposed to be like, that's the excuse. And we move on from there. And you're like, no, 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 no. Hold on. And then in the clip before that, he was the one who was like, well, no, no, no. We should get married. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, basically, he's pro-pranging her. And she's like, well, I don't want to get married. And he's like, you know, the hell you don't. No one else would have you except me. Is this <laughs> used as an excuse? Like, and then he, you know, rapes Belinda the same night. What is it that Kyle actually wants? Mm-hmm. Not that I, I don't know. Not that we need this both sides for Kyle. The movie is not Kyle's. But then, if you're gonna have this extremely bizarre, like my drive is for us to have a kid, and ergo, here's the solution. This child that was conceived because I raped someone, and so I will just take the child. Like, what What does the movie want us to do with this information, or does it not care because he's the villain? 
Yeah. And, well, and they also don't, you know, like the way that the movie depicts the town they're in, it looks like there's like 15 people in it. So how does he think that he's going to be like, well, this is my baby. And uh, I got it by legal means and nobody objects. You know, like they can talk to her. Yeah. You know, I, or everyone else who lives in the world and saw that scene in the general store where he's like, coochie coo. And she's like, barf and grabs the basket that the baby's in. Like, certainly the cashier was like "Mm, he raped her like there's no dialogue but i mean obviously on on father john's face like there's the like that that's my daughter's rapist but i think on the clerk it may just be like ooh, (laughs) like small town gossip sort of thing like that's his like yeah you know his shocked disappointed face is like that's a man who's you know who was betrothed at the time well yeah but that still goes to the point like whatever they think about what happened to create the baby right it's like you said these are not these are not long odds (laughs) as far as people conceiving babies in this town of double digit population all that like not that we have to rehash all this but the reason i bring it up is that i think quaid is in quite a tough position here this is sort of like an obverse of what we were talking about in the last episode there are parts of this that are extremely quady, and at least in the beginning, or for like the first 45 minutes, he's kind of a um, frustrated and resentful rural tiny town version of stereotypical Quaid. Um, he's drinking a lot of beer, he's um, teasing a lot of city folk, he's playing some darts, and then it starts to go real bad. And you realize how much Quaid generally sort of exists on that line between Foxy and like Wolfie. <laughs> and this is like way, this is too far over the line into like apex predators. And then there's just a lot of accented yelling that because this character is completely unmoored from man logic uh of the world is not great no i agree i mean everything you're saying is the same problem i have this is definitely more quady because like his you know like that that needle thread between foxy and vulpine or whatever yeah is uh well i guess vulpine is foxy but like foxy and wolfish right is uh you know it's like charming roguery right but like as soon as the roguery goes too far in one direction it wears off all the charm well, and, yeah, like if there are finger bruises on someone, it, that's that you overshot it. So I think I understand what they were trying to do with the movie, which is set him up as like being a scary local who's suspicious and then letting the charm come through. And you're like, oh, he's all right. And then you're the bottom drops out and you're like, oh, what a monster. But like the monstrousness never quite goes away. There is that hint of menace. I mean, anytime your big deal is like for recreation is driving around in a pickup truck going woohoo and firing off shotguns like there, there's a set of cultural baggage around that and none of it is good. Yeah, no. And, and so like, even if he's like trying to keep the crows off you, you're like, all right, you know, and like, even if he's smirking through the rest and even though he has that drawl where it sounds like he's got an ice cube that's just been in a glass of whiskey in his mouth and he's got a roll around his tongue, like there's those bits where you're like, ah, that's it. And then he's a rapist and murderer. And, yeah. And like, and I don't know why. And there's, There's also, I think, once he gets into the part of the movie where he's all bad, where it's like all rogue, no charm, 
I, I don't think that's a place that Quaid should be as an actor or brand because it's not effective. Like there's just a lot of um, yelling that indicates that he needs more fiber and it's not something he does well. Like a Quaid character being irascible is one thing being monomaniacally fixated on retrieving an infant that he conceived via a rape by any means necessary no that that doesn't work right with all of that said again tough one to rate like i think you've got some you know barbecue flavored grinning happening that is quady but it's not a great performance the role is not very well written. I don't know. Also, raping and murdering. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want me to go first? I think so. I think you have it coming. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. 9.2. Just kidding. Um, I, don't, I don't really know <laughs> what to do with this. Like, he is in a lot of it, and he is kind of quady. I just think that I think they cast him with a certain thing in mind and this just isn't quite it but it's it's closer than some things we've seen so i'm going to say four and a half my cheap answer was going to be same as the rating on the movie i mean everything that he does that's quady is also undermined by like burying the needle in the red on quady until it just becomes rapey like yeah. it becomes rage and yeah. and not charming so every bit that you know that he giveth he taketh away so i was wrestling with maybe going lower to four but ultimately i'll just do five okay i think that's fair sorry about the seven that's okay all right well can uh, i ask you a question though before we go Uh oh yes it's when you say when you're rating this movie would you rewatch? how many times would you watch johnny belinda would you say once maybe do i need to say johnny dangerously to bring that home for you oh johnny dangerously you shouldn't hang me on a hook my father hung me on a hook once once oh fuck that was good that was a nice bit of business and i fucking squashed it flat sorry (laughs) my podcast partner made me watch johnny belinda once 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 fucking asshole how many times would you say you would see Johnny Belinda? Would you say that you would see it once? Once. Next time on Quaid in Full, tough enough. In the meantime, throw on an anachronistic 30s frock and check out our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Quit hoeing and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Hooligans! Cutthroats! Rapists! This is Fargan War.